by show of hands, who here owns a boat? I see a couple. Wow, there were more in the 8.30 service. Interesting. Well, kudos to you for being here this morning because boat owners are notoriously absent from the church in the summer months. <laughs> Pastors know who in their churches typically have boats because when it's nice out in the summer, sometimes they're just not here. So good job being here today. A lot of you probably don't know this about me, but my very first real job was cleaning boats. I was a boat detailer. I spent over a year cleaning boats inside and out. I was in boats for eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, for about 15 months. And none of that time was spent in boats on the water. It was all spent in boats in a garage connected to the Stokely's Marine Boat Dealership in Nicholasville. And let me tell you, it was awful. I hated it. When I was in youth ministry in Lexington, one of our fun summer events we would do periodically was rent a couple pontoon boats down at Cave Run Lake in Moorhead, and we would spend a day out on the water. It was a lot more fun to actually be in a boat when the boat is out on the water. But one year, while we were out there with the youth group, it was a nice, warm, sunny day, and we started to hear this really weird, low, rumbling noise. Didn't know what it was. I didn't hear it at first. One of the other adults heard it. We quieted everybody down. Some of the youth were swimming in the water with life vests on and playing games. So we quieted everybody down just to listen. For about a minute, we couldn't figure out what it was, but it seemed to be getting a little bit louder. Then we saw what looked like a solid wall of rain across the lake. And it was slowly moving towards us. We got all of the youth onto the couple of boats we had rented, and we headed for the marina. Now, if you have ever rented a 20-year-old pontoon boat, you know they only go about two, hour, two miles an hour. And we could see this wall of water quickly gaining on us. We could hardly see where we were driving the boat as the rain just completely enveloped us. And we were drenched, and the waves were bigger, and all of the adults remained calm. We made it back safely. Uh, we all had extra clothes, but our backpacks were soaking wet, so it didn't really matter. Uh, and we got out of the storm, made it home safely, but once we got back, the adults admitted to each other, that was scary. When those winds and the waves picked up and you could feel it moving the boat and you're trying to make it back to the marina, that was scary. Now, I, after I told the story in the first service, I had a few people talk to me uh, in between who went on one of our church's Israel trips and said they were out on the Sea of Galilee and Pastor Greg was preaching a sermon on Luke 8 and they were looking around talking about how it was such a beautiful day when the very same thing happened to them on the Sea of Galilee. Was it, who, who was on that trip? I'm seeing some, yeah, a bunch of people in this section over here and some over there. Um, 
Listen to this from Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they put out and while they were sailing, he fell asleep. A windstorm swept down on the lake and the boat was filling with water and they were in danger. They went to him and woke him up shouting, Master, Master, we are perishing. And waking up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. They ceased and there was calm. Then he said to them, where is your faith? They were terrified and amazed and said to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? What an incredible story. If you've spent time in church before, it's probably a story you've heard before. So just think about it for a second. Because sometimes when we hear stories growing up, we fail to actually think about them as adults. What an amazing story. Think about all of the emotions the disciples would have had as they were in danger. And Jesus is sleeping in the middle of this windstorm. Now, often when I preach, I like to point out how a verse or a, a section of verses is impacted by the context around the passage. We can usually understand what a text means more fully by looking at what comes before it and what comes after it. Yet in this case, I think there's something to be learned by how this passage seems to come out of nowhere. Throughout the Gospel of Luke, we follow Jesus from town to town. He's constantly on the move teaching and preaching in different towns. In chapter 8 of Luke, we are simply told, He went on through one town and village after another, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with Him. Then we get a series of teachings of Jesus, including the parable of the sower and the parable of lighting a lamp and hiding it under a jar, which we get the kids' song from. And then in verse 22, this story just begins out of nowhere. It just says, One day... He got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. There was no planning to go to the other side. There was, there was no uh, uh, warning the disciples, this is what we're going to do. It just happens. One day, this is what happened. It appears that this was part of the life of a disciple. When the teacher says, let's go over there, that's what you do. The disciples were not aware of what the journey across the lake had in store for them. And they weren't aware of what Jesus would want them to do once they got to the other side of the lake. What they did know was that they needed to get in the boat with Jesus. Jesus says, let us go across to the other side of the lake. And the next words are, so they put out. Jesus says, let's go, and they went. It feels appropriate to me this week to acknowledge the importance of being obedient to Jesus' leading when he says, let's go. 
God is leading me to new places. God is leading this church in new ways through new people. But listen to this. Jesus isn't sending anyone where he isn't already present. He is the one saying to all of us, let's go over there. He is in the boat with us as we head out into the waters. The disciples may not have known what they were going to do when they got there. But when they got to the other side of the lake, there was a man who came out to greet them. Except this was not an ordinary man. This was a man that wore no clothes. This was a man that lived in tombs among the dead. This was a man whom we are told was possessed by demons. And we were also told that he had been living like this for a long time. Right after this story of Jesus calming the seas, Luke says this, For a long time, this man had come out, For a long time he had not worn any clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. There on the other side of the lake, waiting for them, there was someone that desperately needed Jesus. And waiting for them on the other side of this lake, there was this incredible opportunity to share Jesus with someone. Now, the disciples did not know what they would encounter. And we do not know what tomorrow holds. But we can be sure that when we cross the lake with Jesus, and when Jesus says, let's go, we can be sure when we go with him, there is something meaningful waiting for us on the other side. Now, we've talked about how not much seemed to happen before this story other than Jesus saying, let's go. We've talked about what happened on the other side of the lake. We can't skip over the journey. Because the journey was not easy. While they're on their way, Jesus falls asleep. And a giant windstorm swept down on the lake. It even says that the boat was filling with water and they were in danger. Those of you who were on the Sea of Galilee that day, was the boat filling with water? No? You all probably had a boat that was better equipped to be out in a storm like that. Because as I studied this passage this week, I learned that the, the small fishing boats that typically worked out on the Sea of Galilee had very shallow holes. They were made to stay close to the shore to do the fishing. And the Sea of Galilee is notoriously prone to unpredictable storms with no warning. And they would cause these crazy ways that the small boats were unequipped to handle. The disciples had reason to be afraid. The narrator of this story explicitly says, and they were in danger. As if you were reading this and you hear about the storm and the water filling the boat and you needed another reminder, it's like, they were in danger. But this is the place that Jesus has led them. Shouldn't things be safe for those who follow Jesus' instructions? Not always. 
Sometimes the road is dangerous even for those who follow exactly what Jesus says. And so when the danger comes, the disciples then go and wake up Jesus. I wonder if they had an argument like, you wake him up. No, you wake him. I'm not waking him up. <laughs> Let's just acknowledge the fact that Jesus was still asleep. This isn't they saw the rain far away. This is there is water filling the boat and waves crashing and he is still asleep in the middle of this windstorm on a small fishing boat. And I have a suspicion as to what is actually going on here. Uh, Dad's in the room. It's Father's Day. So it's okay for maybe a little confession time from the dads. Dads, have you ever uh, pretended to still be asleep when your kid comes into the room? Have you ever pulled that move where you slightly open your eye, but not enough so people still think you might be asleep? Just to see what they're going to do. Are they going to climb in bed? Are they just going to go back to their bed? Is that just me? (laughs) I do wonder if that's what Jesus is doing here. If he's thinking, let's see how they handle this situation. Finally, the disciples come to him and they declare, they wake him up and they declare, Master, Master, we are perishing. In Mark's gospel, the disciples even say, don't you care if we drown? They come to him saying, we're dying here. And Jesus was sleeping. Now, it was kind of accidental uh, earlier in the service for the act of praise. We read Psalm 121 which talks about the Lord will not slumber. And I didn't realize that till this morning when I was looking through the PowerPoint for corrections or anything that might be wrong. I thought, huh, got to work that in somehow. (laughs) The Lord is not going to slumber, yet in the main story we're talking about this morning, Jesus is fast asleep. I think the message here is that even in the story, even though Jesus is asleep, he's still there with his disciples. God is still present with his people. God has not turned his back on his people. And the psalmist reminds us that he never will. He is aware of your situation. He is aware of sufferings you might experience. And so the disciples come to Jesus and wake him up and they cry in desperation, Master, Master, we are perishing. Now, I'm convinced that our our worship planning team is getting a little tired of me nitpicking with some of the lyrics and some of our songs, but one more time, here we go. A few weeks ago, we sang a song, Rescue the Perishing. It's a fine song. It's fine to continue singing it. But something struck me as odd about it when we sang it several weeks ago, and I couldn't figure out why until this week. Because when the disciples said, Master, Master, we are perishing, that word is not one that we use often. It made me think back to that song. Let me read you the first verse of this song. It says, Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin in the grave, weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. All theologically great. Jesus, we do want you to rescue the perishing. But the thing that struck me as odd about this verse, and really the whole song as I looked through it again this week, is 
it's all written in the third person. It's written from an outsider's perspective. Snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Rescue those perishing people out there. When what we find in Scripture, almost every time, is phrases like, Master, Master, we are perishing. I am perishing. I need your help. Scripture gives us these throughout the Psalms and various other places of prayers to pray that we need your help. Master, Master, we are perishing. After Jesus rebukes the wind, the passage ends with this really incredible question. The disciples having experienced this, they ask, who then is this? That he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? Who is this guy? You see, in chapter 8 of Luke, the disciples had not been following Jesus for very long. Some of them had begun following him in chapter 5 and others joined in chapter 6. They witnessed him heal a leper, heal a paralytic man, and a man with a withered hand. But this is different. Jesus is now controlling the winds and the water, which forces them to ask, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? In reflecting on this question, I wondered perhaps if the disciples would have reflected back on their Jewish history of a God who parts the sea, of a God who commands the winds and the water and they obey Him. Psalm 106 verse 9 says about that story, Moses parting the sea, the Psalm 106 says, He rebuked the Red Sea, using the word rebuke. And Luke uses the same word rebuke, although the Greek version, which connects these two stories. It reminds us that this is who God has always been. When the Israelites were following God where He was leading them out of Egypt, He rebuked the sea to bring them to safety. When the disciples were in the boat with Jesus, He rebukes the sea to protect them from danger. When there are storms swirling in our lives, it's the same God that we serve. This is who He has always been. Now this is one of those stories that if read by itself makes it seem like whenever something bad is happening, as long as we ask Jesus, we'll be saved immediately from danger, automatically. But the best commentary on the Bible, the very best, you know what the very best commentary on the Bible is? The Bible. The very best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Every scripture we read is interpreted in light of the rest of scripture. Not to just be understood in a vacuum, but in light of the rest of it. And scripture as a whole makes it clear that Christians will also suffer. It isn't as if suffering ends the moment the Christian goes to Jesus and says, Master, Master, we are perishing. Yet in this story, we are told that Jesus rebukes the wind and there was calm. Things became peaceful. 
This story reminds us that we, when we are in the boat with Jesus, He can give us peace. He can give us peace by knowing that He is with us. Our call to worship this morning was from Psalm 136. We read the first three verses together. Your part was very repetitive. I think you probably caught on after the first two slides for the third one. We just read the first three verses. We read, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. And you responded, For His steadfast love endures forever. And then I said, Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. And you responded, For His steadfast love endures forever. And then I read, Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. And you responded, For His steadfast love endures forever. And that's all we read as our call to worship, but it continues like this. Who alone does great wonders, for His steadfast love endures forever. Who by understanding made the heavens, for His steadfast love endures forever. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but Psalm 136 has all 26 verses responsive like this. And it goes through all the amazing things that God has done. And each time, the people would have responded, for His steadfast love endures forever. Because through the good times and through the bad, when you are in the boat with Jesus, you can declare that His steadfast love endures forever. This church is in unknown waters. There are a lot of questions that could be focused on. The disciples could have been asking other questions. They could have been asking, how are we going to get to the other side of the lake? They could have been asking, why is Jesus bringing us out here if there's just going to be a storm? They could have been asking, why did you fall asleep, Master? They could have been asking, why are we even going over there? What are we going to do when we get to the other side? We as a church could be asking, how are we going to get through this? Who will the conference be sending to help? What will they be like? When will they get here? How long will they be here? I'd like to invite you to focus all of that and any nervous anxiety it causes. I'd like to invite you to focus all of that energy caused by uncertainty instead into this one question that the disciples asked. They asked, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? They asked, who is this Jesus? Reflecting on that question leads all disciples, them and us, to know Jesus more fully. Who is this Jesus? Jesus is the one who calms the sea. Even when there seem to be storms swirling at times, we are in the boat with Jesus. And there is no better place to be. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this and other stories like this that remind us of your steadfast love for us that endures forever in good times, in hard times, in times that are known, in times that are uncertain. Lord, Your steadfast love endures forever. Lord, You invite us to get in the boat and go with You. 
but you don't send us anywhere without you. You're along for the ride at all times. We give thanks to you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.